I love the shitty days. I love the brilliant days. I love the stress, even though it 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 becomes a bit, you know, overwhelming at some point. I don't know. I just I'm one of those weird ones that that I I couldn't think of doing anything else. As hard as it is, uh, it's intoxicating, and I love it. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. The food of Australia has changed dramatically over the last few decades as the influence of neighbours in Southeast Asia have woven a new web into the culinary landscape. The vibrant energy of Thai cuisine, for instance, has become an important part of the fabric of Sydney dining and continues to play a role in the evolution of Australia's dining landscape too. Anita Potter is a chef and owner of Viand in Sydney, New South Wales. Anita, how are you? I'm well, thank you. How are you? I'm good. You have um, really dived into Thai cuisine, but it wasn't what you started cooking all those years ago. What was it about Thai food and culture that really um, captivated you? Um, well, from being, being from Perth, Perth never had... Uh, and it doesn't really have, even now, a, a huge Thai scene. It was, um, it's something that, that was much more on the east coast of Australia. Uh, so I didn't, I didn't really experience much of, much of Thai when I was growing up and especially doing my um, apprenticeship and, and, and cooking and all that kind of stuff over there. So I knew of it, of course, knowing of you know, David and, and, and what he was doing and all the chefs of, of the east coast. Uh, at that time um, but yeah I mean the first time you have Thai food I suppose when you have never had it before it just it, it blows your mind um, and yeah that's that's kind of I think what happened to me. Before we dive into that incredible career that you forged in in the realm of Thai cuisine um, take us back to Perth when you were young what, what was food like for you as a kid growing up? Um, I, my, my parents my, my family was always into food um, my my background Sicilian Croatian and and uh, um, we're all a bit of a bit of a mongrel race in our family so food was really important it was one of those things that uh, whilst eating any particular meal you were always talking about the next one uh, at the same time what are we going to have for dinner you know whilst eating lunch um, big big foodie people in our family uh, my father had had gardens with, with all sorts of produce in it. My my nonna and my nonna, uh, they too had had produce growing, and yeah, it was just it was a big it was a big food food kind of uh, family. Um, everyone cooked in our family. My father cooking some strange things. I think that's uh, you know I took on cooking as self defence at some point. Uh, there was some, there were some very very strange and interesting interesting meals that we we kind of you know got fed. Uh, however, it, it also you know gave us this, these diverse palettes of you know try everything. Um, and you know you, you can't say you don't like something unless you've tried it. Um, so I think that that's really kind of forged my 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 understanding of food. With that Italian and Croatian heritage, do you have any feasts or dishes that you remember from, from when you were young that you can tell us about? Uh, my nonna made the, the most incredible, and I don't, I don't necessarily know whether or not it's a, a proper, proper you know, uh, Italian thing or Croatian thing, but she used to cook this, this chicken spaghetti is what she used to call it. Uh, and it was, it was basically a sugo, 
that she would cook for literally all day. Uh, and there was um, chicken that was braised in it, so it literally just kind of fell apart and the smell would just waft through the house all day. Uh, and, you know, we'd get our hands snapped if we were sticking a piece of bread into the into the pot and stuff like that. Um, the, the she used to make also these these incredible uh, dumplings, um, which are Croatian, um, and uh, yeah, they're they're fried off, and there's lots of booze in it, lots of uh, raisin sultanas in them, uh, grated apple, and then they've they've got this powdered sugar uh, all over it, which which were just divine. Uh, and I have a recipe somewhere. She gave it to me before she died, um, but I haven't I haven't cooked it for ages. Uh, superb with a with a really thick hot coffee. Um, yeah, <laughs> we had coffee when we were quite young. <laughs> it, it could 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 be the reason why I'm so hyperactive, I suppose. Now, <laughs> what was it like for you um, starting your apprenticeship and working in commercial kitchens, having grown up in in that environment with food? Was it was it quite different in a commercial setting for you? Totally, absolutely, and you know, back back then, it was you know completely male, dominated and driven, and it was it was tough. And uh, the the head chef that I had at that time was, uh, what do you? How do you? How do you? He was mean. <laughs> let's just let's just use mean. I think mean could be the most polite word. He yeah, he was tough. He, there was yelling. There was things being thrown. There was there was just yeah. It was it was very very tough um and it wasn't it wasn't something that you can you know kind of give someone heads up of uh at all it's just kind of bear the brunt of it and and survive or don't survive um so yeah no cooking cooking at home with my family and then versus cooking uh at the beginning of my apprenticeship in a commercial kitchen heavily dominated by by you know a male brigade was was vastly different You've um, cooked all over the globe and had extraordinary experiences. And early on, uh, you went to Europe. What, what did you take out of uh, the experiences of, of cooking in Europe? Um, cooking in Paris was was uh, great and difficult at the same time. I I I wanted to get out of Perth, and uh, all of my all of my my friends and colleagues were going to to London. And I just I'm a bit I'm a bit of that person of I'm I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to pave my own way. So I decided that I'd go to Paris instead, uh, not knowing not knowing a word of French or anything like that, not knowing what what to what to expect. It was possibly the hardest year I've I've ever had, just because of you know I literally threw myself into the deep end of of you know of of you know Paris of all places, which is uh, a tough a tough city to 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 kind of survive in. Um, and also not knowing the language and etc. But um, I don't know. The French, the French are difficult to, to to cook for. Here I am, thinking I know how to cook uh, green beans and you know that al dente kind of uh, you know learnings that I had from from my my work in Perth. And you know the French don't eat beans like that at all, uh, and they're usually cooked a little bit over and uh they're softer and and so yeah there was there were lots of things like that that i was kind of you know i i didn't really really get but i got it and i picked up french and it all clicked one day um 
<laughs> thank goodness. Um, and yeah, I had a great time, but it was, it was, yeah, for the first three months I had my ticket in my hand going, what am I doing? I'm an idiot. I, <laughs> why didn't I just go to bloody London? <laughs> like, like all the other normal people. Um, so yeah, no, I don't, I don't do things by halves. I don't think. You landed the head chef role at the kitchen in Paris. What, what sort of impact did that have on you and your approach to cookery and produce? Um, it, uh, it was a great job. The guy who owned it, uh, was Irish and his wife was, uh, was French, of course. And he used to work for, um, Guinness over in, in Ireland. Um, and they, they moved to Paris and they, they opened this restaurant. Um, and it was kind of, it wasn't, it wasn't anything, you know, super extraordinary or anything like that, but it was just a really lovely bistro, uh, in the second arrondissement and yeah, super busy packed for lunch and dinner um i don't know it was kind of it was kind of paving the way of do, do i want to be at this level or do i want to be uh at a different level and i kind of i loved it i loved the adrenaline of it it was um it was it was it was you know the first time i'd been in that that head chef position it was uh, the first time i was able to call the shots to my own kitchen and my brigade and uh you know it was it was a brilliant learning kind of curve for me to say right I want I want the kitchen to work like this I want the people to kind of have this kind of vibe when they go into to work and I think that that's sparred me to to you know continue at that level um so yeah I think that that's that's what I got out of Paris the most what led to the move uh to Thailand I know you came back to Australia for a period of time but that that leap to to immerse yourself into Thailand and its cuisine what triggered that um, I, I moved back to, to Australia um, and uh, with the intention of going back, I actually had a job in, in Umbria, uh, Italy, uh, set up and, and, you know, ready to go. But uh, my mum was a bit, a bit ill at the time, so I just went to go and check in on her. And then uh, the, the job in Italy, um, their funding fell through, so I didn't. I didn't take it, obviously, uh, and stayed in um, stayed in Perth, where I, uh, you know, got back into contact with some people. And um, Ian Lawless at the time was doing uh, some Thai things, and so I kind of started to to um, to see a different side of, of a cuisine that I didn't know anything about. Um, so I think that that's kind of what what kept me in Perth doing that. Tell us about those early days of discovering Thai cuisine and, and does it require a different approach to ingredients and, and thinking about food? It does. I mean, there's, there are so many, so many ingredients in, in, in one dish. I mean, and also so many levels of, uh, you know, I mean, in, in one recipe, there's about, you know, not all of them, but uh, in one recipe, there's, there's, there's usually several recipes within that recipe to create that one. Um, and, you know, I just, my, that my brain just gravitated towards that. I need to be busy. My brain needs to be busy. Um, whereas cooking Western food, it's, you know, there's usually four or five extraordinary ingredients, Thai food, there's about 20. Um, and, you know, it was, it was that aspect that, was interesting me the most so this recipe then turns into that recipe that then evolves into this that essentially you know gets put onto the table was just something i i couldn't i couldn't stop doing um and you know like i david thompson actually did a, a dinner at um a restaurant in perth oh i can't remember the name of it 
um, anyway, so he came over and, and did a dinner and, and, you know, he was drying things on the roof and he had brought all of these strange ingredients over from Sydney. Uh, and um, I just, it was, I think it was then that I, that I was like, I need to go and work with that person. He needs to teach me uh, everything he knows. So, yeah, I grabbed his email from uh, Tanomsak and, 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 and I think that that's where, where things went. I want to uh, delve into the influence and um, web that you created with David Thompson, which lasted for many years. In a web, a web is, a, is a perfect, perfect description, I think. <laughs> I think he would agree as well. <laughs> Alex's restaurant in Bangkok, um, you moved there to open that. What, what was it like for you culturally immersing yourself into that city and environment? Do you have any stories of that time and, and what it was like for you? Um, when so it was it was through the contact of Ian that uh, I went to open Alex's, um, and I remember he took he he came with me for for the first week or so, um, and I talk a lot and uh, he his wife would call and just say you know how's everything going checking in, and he just kept telling her that I was very quiet, and that that there was something wrong and he didn't know what. He didn't know what was going on, but I think it was, it was, I was so overwhelmed and so overloaded with, you know, these, these sensory kind of things and the culture. And it was so vastly different from anything I had ever um, experienced before, not only from a cultural point of view, but a food point of view, how they ate things, how they, how they interacted with people, just the whole thing. It was just like, oh my God, I, this is this is where I, I need to be. This is where I want to be. This is, you know, it's, it, it, yeah, it was full on, <laughs> but in a good way. Um, and I think I was, I was taking it all in, not being able to articulate how I was feeling, what I was feeling, you know, all of those kinds of things. So. You you mentioned the, the sort of fire in the belly that meeting David Thompson and that experience sort of gave you, you ended up uh, working at NAM. How did that come about? Uh, so I took his email from uh, Tanomsak, his partner, and I sent an email saying, I'm coming to London. I would like, uh, I would, I'd like an interview for a job. I want to work for you. And so I basically banged on his door and, uh, and Matthew Albert, his executive chef at the time, uh, was apparently forwarded this random mad email from this crazy chick in Perth. Uh, and he was like, okay, yeah, we'll do an interview. So I, I got on a plane and I turned up in London and, yeah, kind of had to, had to kind of go, I don't know, I, just, I was just like, give me a job. I'm here. Give me a job. I want to work for you. Don't care what I'm doing. I need to learn. Give me a job. Uh, and so they did. <laughs> um, at the time, I remember Matthew saying to me, he's like, I, I love your energy. I love, I love all, all the things, but uh, unfortunately, we don't really have a position. And if you bear with me for a week, I need to convince the general manager that, of the hotel that we need to, to provide another, another position, to which they did. And I got the job the week later. <laughs> Wow. Take, <laughs> take us into that kitchen. Um, David Thompson, obviously renowned, not only in Australia, but across the globe. Um, do you have any stories of what it's like in that kitchen and sort of what you took from it? Oh, that was, that, that was, that was, it was a tough kitchen. <laughs> it was a tough kitchen. Uh, the chefs who worked there were at the top of their game. They were, they, 
They it was that old school kind of. Uh, you turn up an hour early to your shift just because you loved your job and you 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 wanted to kind of not be in the shit for service so you'd get there early to 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 make sure that you had everything um you'd stay afterwards after your after your shift and and sharpen your knives every night uh on the stove on a stone you would you know like all of that kind of stuff um it was yeah it was a it was a kitchen that i'd never never worked in and at a level that I had never worked in and with people at a level that I'd never worked with. Um, it was amazing. And I think that that in itself, you know, kind of inspired me to kind of work like that too. I mean, it was, it was basically a sink or swim kitchen. And uh, I, I, I usually, I, I don't know if I swam at the, at the beginning, but I certainly floated. Um, <laughs> And then, and then, yeah, I got my feet and, and yeah, kind of ran with it. It was great. Is, is there any dishes or ingredients or techniques that really sort of captured that period of time for you and sort of what you were learning about Thai cuisine at that time? I remember David hated, hated how I cooked a lawn. Uh, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a sweet person. So my, my palate doesn't usually kind of, um, go to go to uh, seasoning something you know more sweet i'm more i'm much more salty and 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 spicy um and you know he's still now kind of you know gives me shit for being too salty or, or what have you um but so i remember every time you know so everything was tasted at every at every level at every second you know throughout the cooking process and all that kind of stuff and he was uh when he was in london he was you know sticking his spoon into everything and all so my my uh, my lawns were, you know, this cause of, you're not doing it right, this is not, you know, you haven't got it, da 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 because I'd never put enough sugar in it. Um, and I just, I couldn't get my head around, you know, putting that much sugar into something. Now I understand it, but, uh, yeah, he, and then, you know, for for, for want of, um, you know, some kind of praise, I'd be like, oh, but, but what do you think of the, the numb prick that I made? He's like, that's fine. He's like, that's not, we're not talking about that. It's your lawn. And I was like, okay. And then, but then because I was so nervous and especially nervous around him when he was in the kitchen, um, you know, he'd be, he'd be doing things, but he'd do it at such a speed that, you know, my small brain couldn't kind of keep up. And, and then his, he, he would basically kind of you know, do it all and then basically go, ta-da, and then go, see, that's how you do it. And I'm like, shit, can we do it again? <laughs> Um, so yeah, there was like there lots of those kinds of moments. Um, I mean, David had apparently calmed down a lot, uh, by the time I'd got there. Um, but yeah, he was still, he was still scary and, you know, he'd pick up my knife and go, it's not sharp enough. I want you to sharpen these. Uh, they need to be sharper tomorrow. And so, you know, you'd go home and you'd spend two hours sharpening your knives and, and stuff like that only to come in the next morning and, you know, him turn around and say, did you sharpen your knives? And I'm like, yes, all night. And this is like three o'clock in the morning after you've just done a, a 17 plus hour shift the, the day before. Um, and so, yeah, you kind of just, you're just like, oh, this is, I'm not, I'm not cut out for this. This is not working. This is not working. This is, you know, to the point where I kind of got to the point where I, I, I said to Prin, um, you know, one of the, one of the executive chefs, uh, at the time, I was like, Bryn, you need to help me sharpen my knives because I'm clearly not doing it right. And duh, duh, duh. so then there was a day that Prin sharpened my knives 
uh, one evening, and then the following day, David, David, you know, came came in and said, "What did you sharpen your knives?" And then I couldn't I couldn't exactly say, "Well, I didn't, but Prin did, and he's your chef." And it, really, <laughs> so it kind of it kind of became became aware to me that he was just like, I don't know, he he still still to this day he loves taking the piss out of me. Uh, and I don't know whether or not it was a part of that, or he was just entertaining himself um, at, at my my account. But I don't know. <laughs> but many many experiences like that. You veered away from the world of David Thompson for a little while. Tell us about some of the the influences and experiences you had um, before joining up with him again. So David closed Nam, I think, two thousand and twelve at the end, uh, and. Then he went back to Bangkok, and at that time, Nam was being being done in in Bangkok. So, uh, still wanting to kind of keep me on his tab. Uh, Alan Yao was building a, a restaurant called Nam Ya in Angel, and you know, it was really lovely. So when when David closed the restaurant, he went around to all of the chefs and said, "Right, what are you, what's what's your plan after this? How can I help get you a job? You know, I'm fully understanding that I'm I'm you know severing." ties um and then i remember he came to me and he said right where where do you want to go and work what do you want to do what what's out what's your plan and i was like i don't understand this question i've i i i just want to work for you that's the reason why i came and you know now we're he's like oh okay so he's like right i've got plans for you but in the meantime you need to go and you need to you know kind of uh, I can't take you to Bangkok just now. So he was the one who, who suggested to go to Alan Yao. Um, and the sous chef, one of the sous chefs at that time had gone. Uh, so he said, you, you'll still be working with, with Libor, who's uh, an amazing chef. Uh, I think he's now gone back to, to doing Japanese food in Dubai. Uh, but a scary Slovakian who I broke his nose uh, one day in, in the kitchen of Nam, unintentionally, but it, he he thought he thought it was intentional. I think there may have been a small intent behind behind it, but yeah, this, it was kind of it was almost like prison rules at that point. Before then, before then, it was like no one really kind of you know kind of I don't know warmed towards me, and then all I had to do was break the sous chef's nose with a gastro tray, uh, and then I was fine. <laughs> So yeah, so I worked with Alan Yao and uh, and Libor for um, I don't know, I think it was about eight months, um, and I don't know, it was just again, it was it was street food, it was kind of an all day dining concept kind of thing, and it just it wasn't really it wasn't really the kind of uh, direction I wanted to go, and especially after working at Nam, I was I was so wanting to stay in that in that rhythm and that pattern. Um, and so then I went down to uh, the Begging Bowl in Peckham uh, and worked with Jane Attlee, who too was uh, David's sous chef uh, at, at one of the one of the points at, at Nam. Um, and she was doing she was doing food that was more refined, and she was it was also all Thai, whereas the Alan Yao place was a bit of a mishmash of of everything. Um, so yeah, there was there was just more more care, and and at the time, uh, Andy Oliver was was working there too, who now has some SAR. So you know, it was it was a better fit, I suppose. Um, so yeah, Long Chim um, was created not long after that, and has had an incredible impact in multiple cities in different countries. Um, tell us a bit about Long Chim and the idea behind it, and 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 the success that it's garnered. Um, 
The first one was actually supposed to be in Hong Kong, but uh, where where Ahan is now, but it, because it's a, because the space was uh, the Jockey Club um, in the in the oh, I can't remember what the precinct is called, um, but so yeah, it's a, an old um, heritage listed kind of big precinct in in Hong Kong. Uh, there was some issues with the building itself, so a wall fell down, and they 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 couldn't um, couldn't replace it immediately because of the heritage listing and stuff. So Singapore came about um, up at uh, Marina Bay Sands, and we were neighboured with Waku Gin, Tetsu's place. Um, it was it was it was it was a big project, and especially being being the first one. Uh, there was a lot to kind of organise and, and, and do. Um, but then timing for that was, was you know, like opening a restaurant anywhere in any, in any country, you know, timing is delayed and this happens and this happens and da-da-da-da. So whilst it was delayed, I got thrown uh, in a, to an orphanage in Cambodia, in Badambong, which David still laughs about. Um, and then, you know, for probably two years later, uh, my nickname turned out to be Orphan. Uh, so, you know, um, but long term, long term was, you know, it was, it was probably the first kind of thing of its kind, I suppose. Um, Singapore was, Singapore was tough, uh, just because the Singapore market is from an eating point of view. Um, we found that they didn't really kind of like strong flavors. And obviously David's food is all about the, 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 you know, smack in your face, big flavors, um, so yeah, the, 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 the response was up and down. Um, but then, you know, once it got on its feet, Perth, uh, Perth was born and then, and then Sydney and then Melbourne, uh, and then Korea, uh, and, and, and so forth. But yeah, I think, I think everywhere that it was, that it was, you know, placed, it, it's done a really, really good job. Um, and, and, you know, it's still successful now. Given the big bold flavors, um, did were there challenges with the Sydney and Melbourne and Perth um, markets with Long Jim? Uh, I can't talk much of Perth. I didn't do Perth. I was still uh, looking after Singapore at its creation. Um, but I think I think Perth, uh, yeah, the response I think was quite good. And also because Thai food didn't really exist in Perth, it was you know a pretty great great restaurant to have. Um, in Perth, Sydney was Sydney. You know, it was always going to be tough. It's David coming back to Australia, his hometown, that kind of thing. Um, he, I mean, the the response was up and down, but it was it was I think too full on, especially from a heat perspective. I don't think people were expecting that. Um, and you know, David staying authentic and and keeping the integrity of everything. You know didn't really dull anything down but I, I you know it, it was it was tough I think it was good I think it's it, I think it's uh, you know come a long way from from where it began um, and it's more user-friendly I suppose for for one of a word um, but yeah no it was it was it was tough I can only really speak about Sydney because that's the one that I spent the most time at Melbourne I didn't um, I didn't open that was Matthew um, because it, it, it actually opened, I think it was about a month or two after we had opened Sydney um, in uh, Crown, the Crown Casino Complex kind of thing. I don't know Melbourne very well. So, um, 
Yeah, so I, I, and I don't know what the what the response really was from from customers and things like that. But it worked for a little while, um, and then and then it closed for for reasons that that below my pay grade. <laughs> <laughs> well, cuisines all over the world are often um, westernised or sort of made more user friendly in different in, environments. But what, what's your thoughts about Thai cuisine in Australia and and its maturity? Uh, I think. I think I mean I was told the other day by one of my suppliers that there's about seven there's 700 plus Thai restaurants in Sydney alone, uh, which I I knew that there was a lot but that number you know threw me. <laughs> um, I, I you know yes Thai food has has been been adapted for the Western palate particularly in uh, in Australia and I think all of those kind of Anglo-Saxon countries where all you know whether or not it's America or it's um, England or, or, or what have you um, because people aren't used to you know the strength of the fish paste of the the shrimp paste and and things like that uh, lots of fermenting happens in Thai food lots of curing and stuff and you know just icky things to a to a, a farang um, I think I think you know, I think that's that's kind of probably for it to work. It needs to it needs to be, you know, dulled down, I suppose. Um, but I I don't I don't want to do that, and I don't know you know if, if that's going to shoot me in the foot. But um, it's 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 the way I've been taught how to cook by by you know someone incredible, and you know I I I want to I want to stay true to to what I've learned and also the recipes that I've learned. Um, I mean, sure, there is adaptations with with produce and and things like that. Of course, I'm not in Thailand. I don't have access to all of those incredible things. Uh, the chilies are different um, here than they are over there uh, in terms of heat. All of that kind of stuff. The peppercorns here aren't as explosive as they are over there. All of that kind of stuff. The herbs are are, are not as it's not as strong. So yeah, there there is there is a, an adaptation. Um, in terms of, of ingredients, but you know, trying to stay as, as authentic, I suppose, to to the original recipes as I can. I know you spent uh, a bit of time in Hong Kong as well, but tell tell us about the new restaurant and Viand and and how did it come about? I think I think the conception of Viand was something that was always in my head, uh, although I don't I don't know if it was necessarily this at the beginning. Uh, thought process. I mean, it's one of those things, you know, most most chefs, some chefs, you know, dream about their own restaurant. Um, and, you know, I had the, I had the, the privilege of opening many of David's and seeing, seeing a whole different range of restaurants uh, and how they opened and all that kind of stuff. And, and the things that I learned along the way, I think what I, I think the things that I learnt the most was the things not to do rather than the things that you should do. Um, and, you know, it was when I, when I finished with David, it was I needed to have a break, obviously, because I felt like I was running on adrenaline for the last nine years um, and just hopping countries and hopping suitcases and all that kind of stuff. There was, when I stopped, there was, it felt as if I had, you know, this sea of balloons and each balloon had its had its own idea and identity and and da da da, and it was just a matter of pulling those strings down and collecting them into what I think is something that I've, you know, kind of delivered 
in, in the restaurant space and the concept and all that kind of stuff. Um, I think that that's, that's kind of what happened. So there's a piece of, there's a piece of, you know, kind of, or there are elements of all kinds of restaurants that I've worked in or eaten in uh, around the country, you know, aspects of uh, the concept of the dining or the open kitchenness or, you know, the, uh, the velvet curtains that you walk in through the door, the light in the kitchen that, I mean, I don't know, all of those things play a part in, in this creation. If that, does that make sense? Absolutely. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, maybe a dish or two to sort of exemplify sort of where you're at with your, with uh, viand at the moment? Uh, there's, there's a salted duck egg relish um, on the menu with uh, aged sticky pork. I'm getting my pork from Marcus down at uh, Whole Beast Butchery, who just does the most incredible, incredible things. And I love the fact that you know I, I he, he will only do you know whole beasts or whole big whole big uh, sides of things and and that kind of stuff. And I love breaking things down uh, with in terms of that. So, uh, but then the salted duck egg relish is you know something that most people haven't seen. It's funky. It's uh, obviously made with salted duck eggs. It's got chilies in it. It's got uh, roasted shrimp paste in it um, you know it's seasoned with fish sauce and, and tamarind and, and it's just it's just something that that people haven't seen um, and eaten with all of the, the the sticky pork and the vegetable uh, plate that goes alongside it 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 creates some diversity to what people think Thai food is and I think that that's you know most of my dishes are are things that people can't recognize on um, the rest, the Thai restaurant around the corner, um, because I also don't want that comparison, um, because it's not. And I know that I'm pushing a boundary with, uh, with, with doing something completely different and trying to change people's perceptions about what they think Thai food is or should be. Um, so it's it's partly the reason why I'm not putting uh, things on the menu that people can identify, like green curries and things like that, papaya salads. Um, and also it's a, it's a much more refined um, kind of cuisine. Not to say that a green curry isn't refined. Um, they're, you know, have, have, have a David Thompson curry, green curry, and, and it'll blow your mind. Um, but I just, I just don't want to have the connotations of those, of that wording on the menu. You know what I mean? Um, so, yeah, so I think that's, so I want to kind of keep my menu that's, that's slightly obscure. Um, and also this this first couple, I mean, the menu will rotate uh, once the kids and me get on our feet and, and kind of feel comfortable. There's a lot for them to, to learn in all sides and all aspects. But the dishes currently on the menu are things that have a particular memory attached uh, to me. And, you know, the first time I had the salted duck egg relish, I, I was blown away just, uh, you know, not knowing what salted duck eggs were and, and that they were pounded with you know, roasted shrimp paste that, you know, does give this real funk to it. Um, the the crab that I've got on the menu is also a dish that I, I learnt at Nam. I've modified it uh, and it's my interpretation of it, but it's still very true to its original form. And, you know, it's also these things are, are small odes, I suppose, to David and and what he's taught me, not ignoring, you know, my learnings from him. Um, which I think is, you know, he, he's, he's played a, a huge part in my professional career and also how I cook and, and why I cook the way I do. Um, so even though I'm trying to distance myself from him, 
not from him himself, but from his name, it's still it's still you know playing a part to to, to the background. What's it been like for you um, creating and opening your own restaurant for the first time? Has, has, has there been anything that surprised you about the process and the experience? <laughs> I don't think I don't think there's a day that I haven't been surprised. <laughs> uh, it's it's a it's an evolving evolving uh, surprise on a daily basis. Um, it surprises me. Staff surprise every every single aspect surprised me um the a a lovely brilliant surprise was the fact that i was able to work with uh someone who i can call now a a dear friend my architect abe rogers who's based in london so we did this collaboration together with him not stepping foot in the building once because obviously he's in london uh and we both didn't really know how it was gonna go but we we had this brilliant relationship and just had this incredible understanding of what we both wanted to come out of this and I mean that 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 was a surprise I think that was the, the nicest surprise um, I think that that came out of this there's been some horrible ones okay. <laughs> um, you know finding finding the grease trap I mean you know the when we took over the space it it, it was trashed but you know, we didn't really realise how trashed it was until you started, you know, opening doors and, and looking in the grease trap and just going, why is there sewage running in the grease trap? This is not normal. This is not, not right. And it's also bloody illegal. So having to, you know, fix that and, you know, the electrical box was so, so illegal and all of these things and, uh, you know, you want, you want $70,000 to build my, my wine shelf. Is that really? Is that really how much it's going to cost? So yeah, there was there were surprises, you know, at all at all moments. You know, it surprised us that Mark and I that um, we couldn't get any support by the government during the COVID thing because we didn't have revenue to to fall back on. And you know, we we like probably many other people fell in this grey area that that you know didn't offer. They could only give this or this. And I get it, but you know there was there was us uh, like like many others that probably fell through the gaps and just had to suck it up and deal with it. Um, so yeah, so, <laughs> surprise surprises left, right, and centre. And you know there are still surprises now after we've opened. You know there have been some brilliant tables and there have been some horrible tables who have been horrible to staff and horrible to me and just don't get it. And it's just yeah. It, I, I think that that's all of the processes of opening a restaurant. Um, yeah. <laughs> what do you love about what you do? Uh, all of it. All of it. I'm mad for saying it, but it's 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 like every like I love I love the shitty days. I love the brilliant days. I love the stress, even though it 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 becomes a bit you know overwhelming at some point um at the moment i really love watching the staff you know kind of be in this very unique different space to what they've they've uh been in before i mean the chefs in the kitchen are basically looking out to the street and looking out to the customers and they're they're, they also are serving serving the guests and explaining to them what they've created on on the dish 
um, which is which is lovely. And then you know they get to also see the the smiling faces and the you know the nods of yeah that's really good of customers. Um, you know I think that that is is also something I love. I don't know. I just I'm one of those weird ones that that I I couldn't think of doing anything else as hard as it is. Uh, it's intoxicating and I love it. Well, I'm sure there's a lot of people in Sydney that are loving the fact that you are there now. Uh, Nita, we've loved having you on Deep in the Weeds today to hear just a part of your story. Um, please keep in touch and we'll catch up again soon. Brilliant. Thanks, Sandy. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.